0: This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. Rolling,
1: rolling, Bryce McKenzie and Laurie Patterson are uh, co-founders of Groundswell, that are dealing with a multitude of farming problems. The main problem is that government would like to make changes with a one-size-fits-all approach and New Zealand is a country of 1,600 kilometers from top to bottom of varying climate and soil type. To well, well today is Bryce McKenzie from Pomahaka, co-founder of Groundswell along with his friend Laurie Patterson. And we're going to take a look at history as to how Groundswell became very popular amongst the farming community and respected by a wider community for their farmer support. Good evening, Bryce McKenzie.
2: Good evening, Neville. Nostas?
1: Nice. Bryce, I see you call yourself a winding down farmer. Neil, what the hell made you go into politics? Because that's not winding down, mate. Look, <laughs> right,
2: Neville, I guess if I knew what was going to happen now, I would never have. Uh, got into it as uh, in writing a Facebook post and I was just one of those unlucky ones that the post went viral so uh, yeah I didn't have any say in that Neville I was never (laughs) intending to be involved in politics at all.
1: (laughs) Hey um, tell us a little bit about Pomahaka because you've done some notable community work in that community haven't you Bryce?
2: We formed the Pomahaka Water Care Group. Uh, there was actually two of us went to the original meeting, and uh, the, it was run by, um, well, it was actually most industry bodies plus um, uh, the Land Care Trust and the regional council, and it was to do with our river, but it was hardly any of us turned up. And um, we sat through this and found out just what a bad state our uh, water was in, in our local river, the Pomahaka River. And so the two of us decided we'd better do something about it before, uh, we, we got ourselves in a lot of trouble and got, uh, basically got regulations it was the, the worry. Never we thought we'd get regulated out of business.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so, uh,
2: we formed the Pomahaka Water Care Group and oh, well, from well. there it's, it's gone from strength to strength and, uh, over half the farmers in the, Catchment are part of the Pumahaka Water Care Group.
1: Yeah. What is Pumahaka? Is it a dairying district down there?
2: It, it is now. There's a lot of dairy in it now. It was very, uh, as most of New Zealand was, it was very uh, sheep and beef orientated uh, originally, and it's st- still very sheep and beef in the headwaters of the Pumahaka River, but as you come down through into the uh, valley, or uh, the valleys where the catchment uh, all meet up, it's certainly a lot lot of dairy now, Neville.
1: Uh, Bryce. what's the approximate contribution in dollars does farming make to the economy of New Zealand? Because this is what's important, isn't it?
2: Well, yes it is, Neville, and I probably haven't got those figures on the top of my head. You may actually be, I, ha- I have had them, but I've got that big figure floating around. Do, uh, do, do yeah. you actually have them?
1: No, I don't, but what I did hear was that Dairy NZ or Fonterra is going to make something like 55 billion this coming season.
2: Yes, that's correct. They are. You're dead right. And I, I think um, beef and lamb was going to be in
1: the 20s, was it? Late, like late teens, yeah. early 20s? Yeah. It's all going well. So.
2: Well, it, yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs>
1: So, getting back to the history of Groundswell, where in all, where did it all start, Bryson? Are you able to give some credit to the farm personalities that gave you the initial initial support to get Groundswell to its present status?
2: Yeah, it certainly can. It started with the national policy statement on fresh water, and um, I remember sitting at home here and reading through the national policy statement because. We had, as a water care group, we had actually submitted on it and I knew that there was over 17,000 submissions that had gone in, so I took quite an interest in it because uh, some of the stuff in the policy statement was pretty difficult to work with and oh, no, it was impossible, like the sowing dates and things like that, which were probably more applicable to this end in New Zealand because uh, um, we rely on waiting until the ground gets dry before mm. we can do anything. So, you know, when it came out with the sowing date, was on the 1st of November, everything had to be sown, and then it was going to move back to the 1st of October. Well, I mean, most of us haven't even thought about getting tractors out of the shed by the 1st of October. So anyway, so I went through the policy statement, and I was was a bit depressed, actually, and I said to my wife that uh, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Farmers cannot possibly achieve the things in the, na- um, the National Policy Statement on Fresh Quarter. So uh, I'm mean to her for a bit, and I think she probably got fed up, Neville. <laughs> most, most wives do. She <laughs> said, well, I'll, I'll do something about it. And I said, oh, gee, the, what can I do about it? I said, I've already been part of a submission, and they didn't listen to that. So I can't do anything. She said, "I'll oh, write a Facebook post. <laughs> so, so I did, Neville. I wrote it, and it wasn't long, but keep it sort of pretty punchy and um and anyway i hit the go button and i made it personal because i didn't know much about facebook so i just shared it with my friends and um, one of my friends is uh what is they known known as an influencer do you know do you know about influencers where they she had actually been working for a radio station and given that up and was um going into using her social media to influence people about tourist destinations and things like that in New Zealand.
1: Well, you better tell so, us about influences because it's a new uh, term to me, Bryce.
2: OK, well, there's, there's a number of them about, and... Uh, often you can even see TV programs now where the people in them are influencers. In other words, they go to tourist destinations and they talk about you know the good things about the tourist destination. In fact, a lot of them do blogs and they travel around the world. So uh, she was just a local one that had, sta- had taken it up. And as <coughs> the word implies, they, they influence people to actually um, uh, do um things that, that they've, um, recommended. And because of that, uh, if the page becomes really popular, then they get a lot of sponsorships, so people climb in and put ads on the page and things like that. Oh. So, so that's, that's where the being equitable bit comes into it. Well anyway, she, she rang me within about, oh, I suppose two minutes after I'd hit the post button. And said, Bryce, that's a really good post. I'd like to share it if I can, please. And I said, oh, you know, that's fine. You can do that. And she said, well, no, I can't. <laughs> she said, because you've made it private, you have to make it public for oh. to be able to share it. <laughs> so I didn't know any of this then, Neville. I've certainly learned a bit since. So she took me through the settings and, um, I made it public. Well, it did go viral. It got shared, I think about, uh, 7,600 times. Uh, People reckoned it reached uh, a bit over one and a half million people, so it certainly did go viral. And um, one particular, Lawrence Patterson, uh, he read it, and he'd been complaining to his wife, and then I sort of alluded to the fact that farmers shouldn't take this lying down. We should uh, jump in our tractors and do a convoy through to Wellington to uh, let, uh, let uh, them know up there that how unhappy we were with it. So uh, anyway, about four or five days later, I actually met Laurie's wife in a local cafe. And she said, oh, Laurie's really keen to do something. And I said, oh, yeah, get him to give me a ring. So... So he did and uh, from there we had a couple of meetings and decided we were going to drive tractors into Gore because it wasn't that practical. We thought if we ended, well, headed for Wellington there might only been him and I that went so we thought we'd better see if we can get a bit of a following. So we set a date and um, just through social media, we didn't do anything else. I just put a post up. I was pretty scared that the government or somebody was going to block us and stop us from doing it. So I just said I was taking my tractor into Gore to get it serviced, and I was meeting Laurie because he needed to get his tractor serviced. Right. And from there, from there, most people caught on to exactly what was going on, and we sort of said we were going to be in Gore by about nine. And lo and behold, there was over a hundred tractors turned up, Neville.
1: Good God.
2: Yeah. So it, it sort of was just, just happened. Uh, you know, the planning wasn't that great. It was just, I guess, we were running on um, the frustration of seeing our businesses get, getting taken over by ridiculous regulations. And obviously we had a nerve with a lot of people who saw exactly the same thing happening.
1: Now, once you got well established, Bryce, what can kind of worms did that open in the way of hard luck stories and the people you've met with problems?
2: Yes, look, uh, we've got an excellent committee, Neil. After that, we I was quite happy to go home and go fishing after the protest, but, but Laurie said, oh, we can't, you can't do that. You, you've got to keep going. You've created an expectation. And I said, "Well, my expectation is to go fishing." <laughs> so I, he said, "Yeah, but that's not everybody else's expectation. You can't you can't just walk away from it now." And I could see he was right. Not that I was really going to admit that to at the time. So, so we decided that he would bring a few people he knew, and I'd bring a few people I knew, and we'd we'd meet in the pub and and go and have a yarn about doing something. So uh, that's that's what happened. <laughs> he got a few, I got a few, and um, we met in Gore uh, at the local hotel, and from there we decided that we'd form a group. We t- talked about going home, thinking about what we would call it, and um, things just developed from there. And uh, the groundswell name basically comes from somebody on my post, the original post that I did, had put on it. I can feel a groundswell starting, and I remember it sort of leapt off the page at me, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's probably quite appropriate if people buy into it. So after much discussion at our meeting, we decided we'd call it Groundswell NZ, and, of course, that's that's what it is. Um, yeah, to talk about, you know, some of them... So we've had some committee members come and go for different reasons. I mean, <laughs> excuse me, we had the odd one or two that thought we should have gone to Wellington... And much as we'd like to have, that wasn't uh, our key driving uh, uh, point that Groundswell was based on. Uh, we had sympathy for the people there because we think everybody has a right to be heard. So that was a real difficult one for us. And one or two decided that uh, we should have gone and they decided that they would just pull out. And, and incidentally, <laughs> some of them have come back. No, so... Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah so we got we got a really active committee there's um there's about 10 or a dozen of us that meet once a fortnight we were meeting once a week for over a year trying to get things set up now we meet once a fortnight sometimes we have zoom meetings in between that um just to keep track of everything that's going on uh, we have our own private messenger page that we all contribute to so keeps us informed um, and we're constantly in touch. And as, as you probably know, Neville, then we branched out and when we organised the hell of a protest, we ended up with about 75 to 80 league coordinators uh, around New Zealand, And uh, because we had um, kept in touch with them by setting up a separate Facebook page with the coordinators on it. Uh, At times we found that there was some stuff coming on there that was really um, controversial to what we were trying to achieve, so we put a limitation on what could be shared. That didn't go down very well with some people. We had a drop-off there. But for all that, when the hell of a protest came up, we were really thrilled that people put the whole body into it. And I mean, we turned out thousands as you well know right throughout New Zealand.
1: Yeah. Now, what about meeting with other people, government leaders, uh, not the farming leaders? How did you go down with them? <laughs> I don't know how well you went with the government.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lord, that's something that, that probably we don't discuss enough, but. Uh, right, originally right from the start, one of the focuses of our meetings was the fact that we felt that farming was not being represented to, to urban people, so we wanted to represent the good things that were happening in farming. Yeah. The other thing was we were try, gonna, so we didn't want to be in the same space as, uh, our levy industry groups or federated farmers. We wanted to be in a slightly different space mm-hmm. to them, but yet we, one of our main driving forces was to give rural or uh, food-producing people one voice, so that they could go into negotiations with government, knowing that all sectors were standing behind them. And that's still the way it is, Neville. We're still striving for that. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had to be pretty tough on some of the industry groups simply because. You know, we met with them. We met with them in the early days and talked to them about what our vision was. And uh, they basically just told us to go away. They weren't interested. Not in so many words. There were some long conversations.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and of course, uh, we didn't think they were pushing back hard enough. So, so anyway, we got to know these people pretty well, really. And I, you know, I still have regular contact with uh, Federated Farmers right. You know, local, and right throughout New Zealand. I talked to a lot of the Federated Farmers presidents, and uh, one, the Auckland one, uh, he even rang me up on Friday night. So uh, I try and keep in touch with them because they're far more open to listen to what what we're trying to stand up for. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's been hard going, Neil. It has been
1: undoubtedly. Bryce, just would you like to tell? Uh, public out there just what some of the problems were that, or expectations that government wanted us to comply with, understand, and unfortunately they were written in voluminous papers that the average farmer would, you know, he'd have to take a two days off work to read the damn things.
2: Oh, yeah, look, uh, there, uh, of course, and people... We tried to alert people to the um, emissions uh, plan that the government had, and they called it Ewok Eganoa. and Of course, 90% of farmers thought that we had made up the name, and uh, they were giving us a hard time for not talk, speaking English, and uh, we're finding, you Neil, know, there's a lot of that happening. We're getting a lot of merry names now. People don't understand it, and they switch off, and... Part of that is probably a ploy so that uh, people lose interest in this sort of thing. Um, so we decided that we had to change the rhetoric a bit ourselves. Uh, the Ewok Ekanoa, or the, uh, the well, it is mostly to do with methane, but the emissions uh, pricing option, we just called it a farming tax because we found out that you know people would actually listen and understand it better. So that was one of the, the obstacles we had to overcome was actually putting it in a way that, that ordinary people would understand. And, and of course, ordinary urban people need to understand it too because this affects them. Yep. And a lot of them are starting to realise now that it is affecting them.
1: Because when we had the protest up here and I took part with the second one, Bryce, but we were amazed at the support we got from the public, they all turned out, and they all gave us the thumbs up and, you know, waved and yahooed and, well, implied that we are doing a damn good job for them, and I just sort of thought, well, there's nothing like expressing something in plain, blooming English, is there? Oh, look,
2: you're so right, and I guess that was very humbling for us. Um, after both the, the two first protests in particular, or even just the last one as well, but particularly the first two, the number of emails, messages, texts that we got from all around New Zealand. And some people were in a real bad state, and they thought it was just them. They, and when they saw everybody else turn out, and they saw the urban people, it said it gave them just such a kick. and they, they You know, it made them get up and go again. And some of these people were, one of them was a fourth-generation farmer whose sons were due to come home, and he was so depressed, he was going to sell his farm. He he had basically given up. He just said, I'm not interested anymore, and he he actually contacted us straight after the protest and said that he had decided he was going to fight. He wasn't just going to lie down and take it, and he was going to get over his depression and and get back into it. And when you hear stories like that, Neville. It's, it actually is worth doing all this stuff because that that's what really counts. Is if it lifts people up and, and gives them a purpose in life, well, that's worthwhile.
1: Now, Bryce, I understand that down your way somewhere, and we'll just talk a little bit about the March of the Triffids, the pine trees, and ah. the local farmlands branch had closed down because of, uh, what no local buyers, supporters for it and that some of the farmers was fed up with farming that they said, "We'll bug it, we'll sell it to the carbon farming set up and uh, you know all of a sudden there's trees there because the younger farmers have got no confidence to take on farming now.
2: Yeah there was a real sad story going on there. <coughs> Excuse me, in fact We've got the Climate Change Commission coming next Friday and I'm intending to show them around. We've got them for two days actually, spending one day in Canterbury with uh, one of our uh, coordinators up there, Jamie McFadden, and then they're coming down here on the uh, Friday and I'm going to spend a day with them. Now, I'm going to show them some good things that are happening on the Pomahaka Water Care Group um, and how farmers are uh, very aware of their environment and the uh, Changes that they've made to the farming practices to actually uh, protect the environment, and I'm going to go and show them some of the not so savory parts of what's happening. And and I've got a young fella lined up. He's uh, he's 32, and he's run a shearing gang and worked hard his whole life to try and get a farm. And the last two years he's been trying to buy a farm, and he's get gets beaten by. Uh, carbon farmers, buying farms yeah. to plant trees. And uh, so I've asked him to tell his story to the Climate Change Commission. We're going to go and have a look at part of a dairy farm that's been planted out in trees, and they were running cows on it, it not as if it was a runoff. Uh, they have been milking off it, and some really flat, flat country that uh, is now in trees.
1: Ooh. What sort of equity have a lot of these... Uh, farmers got that are sort of cashing in or cashing out or just getting out of farming, Bryce?
2: Yeah, well, I imagine, uh, you know, there'll be some really solid farmers that are doing that. This isn't a, an, a, just a, um, I've got too much debt, I've got to get out. In fact, they're not the ones that we're hearing that are getting out. The ones that are getting out tend to be the ones that have just had a gutsful of uh, ridiculous regulation, somebody telling them what to do. And the kids are not interested in coming home because they just don't want to be part of what's going on. So, um, yeah, there's going to be some big money. There is big money involved, Neville. There's no doubt about that. Um, So, yeah, it's a bit of a worry. It really is for the food production of New Zealand going forward.
1: Now, Bryce, I think we've just about reached the end of what we can discuss here. But one thing's bothering me and it's about penguins because we're all environmentalists. Is it correct that penguins bury their dead?
2: Yeah, look, Neville, uh, yes, apparently that's so, Neville, and I, I know now that you've uh, read something that I posted on my Facebook page and I think you should share with the listeners about the penguin funerals.
1: You're not going to tell us a story? <laughs> I haven't got it in front of me, <laughs> Well, I'll read it out to you, because I do. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> the penguin is a very committed to its family and will mate for life, as well as maintain a form of compassionate contact with its offspring throughout its life. If a penguin is found dead on the ice surface, other members of the family and social circle have been known to dig holes in the ice using their vestigial wings and beaks until the hole is deep enough for the dead bird to be rolled into and buried. The male penguins then gather round in a circle around the fresh grave and sing, Freeze a jolly good fellow, freeze a jolly good fellow. You really (laughs) didn't believe that. I know anything about the penguins, did you? It's so easy to fool old people, I'm sorry. An urge came over me that made me do it, Bryce. <laughs> oh, very good, Neville. Well, yes,
2: you've got, to go, you've got to be aware that if you're anywhere near the ice, there could be a tingling general going on.
1: Well, many thanks for your time today, Bryce McKenzie. Also, a big thank you to Mrs McKenzie, which you referred back to, for giving you free reign in these difficult times. Your help to the farming community is greatly appreciated, so well done and thank you, Bryce.
2: And thank you too, Neville, because you do a great job conveying the farming message to all the people in your area, so thank you for what you do as well.
1: Well, good one. Thanks, Bryce. Listen next week to Gary Moore, ex-Mayor of Christchurch, with his thoughts on government and local bodies' approach to administrative duties.
0: Righto. Kick it in the guts, Trev. Gumboots, they are wonderful. Gumboots, they are swell. Cos they keep out the water and they keep in the smell. And when you're sitting round at home, you can always tell when one of the trips has taken off his gumboots. If it weren't for your gumboots, where would you be? You'd be in the hospital or infirmary. Cos you would have a dose of the flu or even pleurisy if you didn't have your feet in your gumboots. Rugby boots and racing boots and boots for drink and rum But the only boots I'm never without are the ones that start with gum I've got short ones and long ones and some up to me belt I'm never dressed till I've got on me gum boots. If it weren't for your gum boots, where would you be? You'd be in the hospital or infirmary Cos you would have a dose of the flu or even pleurisy If you didn't have your feet in your gumboots sing at the opera, my gumboots are a must, they help me hit the high notes, and protect me feet from a dust, they keep the water willowy, so my voice won't get no rust, you won't not never see me. Without me gumboots If it weren't for your gumboots Where would you be? You'd be in the hospital or infirmary Cos you would have a dose of the flu Or even pleurisy If you didn't have your feet in your gumboots Now Rob Muldoon and Rolling, They haven't made a hit They're ruining the country more than just a bit If they keep on the way they're going, we'll all be interred So you'd better get your feet up your gumboots If it weren't for your gumboots, where would you be? You'd be in the hospital or infirmary But you would have a dose of the flu or even pleurisy If you didn't have your feet in your gumboots If it weren't for your gumboots Boots, where would you be? You'd be in the hospital or infirmary, but you would have a dose of the blue or even blue if you didn't have your feet in your go. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand on air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.